This is Celebration Church, but it's more than just a building or a church. We have a calling to be a place where people can find a relationship with God instead of religion. A place where freedom is found and acceptance given, and every person can discover their purpose and experience the kind of fulfillment only God can give. Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as our campus joins with us down in the Fox Valley, as well as all the people who worship with us online. Let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us this morning. Before I got dressed this morning, my wife says, put on that new shirt and jacket I got for you. I said, okay, and I put it on. I said, it looked like a junior high school kid going to his first prom. <laughs> she looked at me and said, you always look like you're going to the prom. <laughs> I said, yeah, I guess you're right, I do. So it's just me. You know, when various pastors are coming to preach for the first time here, they get real nervous and said, I know you guys have a strict dress code there. I said, no, we don't. He said, we well, always dress up. I said, that's just me. I'm the only one who does it. Actually, my wife and I like to dress up. It's just our thing. Those who are close friends know. We'll go out for dinner on a Tuesday night, and we're dressed to kill. And we come in, and people will say, wow, did you guys just come from a wedding? I said, no, this is just us. We're coming out for dinner. One lady looked at me and said, you know you're in Green Bay, don't you? <laughs> I know. It's just us. So anyway, we have fun with it. A uh, little cold. I just got back from Arizona. We were in Arizona for a couple of weeks, visiting family down there. And, uh, but you know, when it's really cold like this, what a lot of people don't realize, it's pretty much cold everywhere. It is not as cold as this, but it's cold everywhere. In Arizona, you know, we're freezing. I mean, it's like in the 30s. And, you know, the sun comes up for a while, and then you feel it warm, and then it freezes again. It's, Phil joined us. He was in Tulsa. Same thing there. You got to go deep South Florida to escape any kind of cold. When it's this cold, relax. Everybody's miserable. So just so y'all feel better this morning. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> Actually, it's, it's kind of worse because a lot of people there don't turn on their heaters. You're living in a house. It's 35 degrees outside. It's cold inside. And they're all walking around like it's nothing. I said, we're freezing in here. I thought you were from Wisconsin. Yeah, it's warm where we live. 
Really? Yeah, we have heaters. <laughs> People are crazy. Anyway, real, real quickly before I get into the message, remind you how, I do, how we do our offerings here. Uh, at the end of the service, uh, there'll be people at the door with buckets, and you can use uh, your checks or cash or whatever, and use the envelopes in front of you to uh, do a gift that way. A lot of people sign up online for recurrent giving. That's very helpful to us. Uh, we encourage that. Or a lot of people use their phone and use the app there, which you can do at any time during the service, and give that way as well. And thank you for your giving. Uh, we've wrapped up our legacy campaign. If you haven't had a chance to participate in that yet, you, well, you've already had a chance. <laughs> if you haven't done it, let me encourage you, do it. Our uh, percentage of response has gone up dramatically, praise the Lord. Our goal is not, you know, we don't give you a dollar amount. We're trying to raise X amount of dollars. We don't do that. We just try to get everybody to do something special. So if you haven't, please join with the rest of the congregation and do that. And remind all the guys that man camp is coming. If you think this is cold, Wait till these guys get baptized in the water. They cut a big chunk of ice out and they get in the water. Yeah. They say, do you baptize people? No, I ain't doing that. But there's guys who'll do it. It's fun to watch while I'm wrapped up. Anyway, but it's a lot of fun. Check out Man Camp. Sign up, guys. It's the first weekend of February. There's nothing to do around here anyway. And uh, we have a lot of fun hanging out. All right, this morning, according to the Christian calendar, we are now in the season of epiphany. What is an epiphany? An epiphany is a moment of sudden revelation or insight. I could have had a V8, you know, or something dawns on you. Oh, now I get it. Oh, yeah, okay, now I, you know, some, sometimes you have that when you're in school and trying to figure out a problem. Oh, it finally dawns on you. Or there's various experiences we have in life where all of a sudden the lights go on. This is called an epiphany. And this is a strong message in the Christian world because an epiphany is actually required before any person can experience salvation. It's that moment when God's truth suddenly clicks. And it happens at different times. Some people, it's where they're very young kids. It dawns on them, some teenager, some way later in life, when all of a sudden, this stuff just starts making sense. What is that? That's God turning the light on in your heart and in your head uh, of just some of the most basic truths. For example, just the idea that I'm a sinner. And I, I was the kind of person, I never struggled with that concept. I was well aware <laughs> that I wasn't very good. But there's a lot of people who actually struggle with it. They don't, when you say, you know, we're sinners, their response is, well, I'm not that bad. These are people who need an epiphany, a night light needs. Just comparing yourself to somebody else. I'm not as bad as my neighbor or this, that, or the other. You know, they think they're okay. If you think that way, you're in a bad place. You need God to turn the lights on for you. Because the reality is our sin separates us from God, all of it. You know, I heard a great analogy once. They said, if you take the worst person in the world, put them in the deepest pit on the planet, and then take the best, kindest, most generous, sincere person you've ever known and place them on top of Mount Everest and then told them both to reach up and touch the stars. It doesn't make any difference. The stars are so far out of reach. God's 
holiness is so far above ours, even our smallest of sins puts us where we can't touch God. We need forgiveness of our sins. Just the idea that we need that is an epiphany. When it dawns on you that Jesus, you hear the gospel, Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. It's amazing how many people hear this message over and over. There'll be people all over the world today in churches hearing this message that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins and nothing quite clicks. They just don't get it. Why? They have yet to experience an epiphany. Uh, and that if we will surrender our heart to Christ, God will forgive us of our sins. These are major moments. And God does this. Um, John 6, Jesus said this, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them. The fact that you even come to God in the first place is a divine thing that God does by his grace and mercy in our lives and starts to turn the lights on. Now, epiphany is not just for people who have never experienced God. We all need epiphanies as we continue to grow in our faith. People have them all the time. I'll be preaching a message and also someone will come after me, up to me and say, oh man, I never thought of that before. And it really, you can see it has an impact on them. It has nothing to do with me. It's, uh, it's just God. In fact, I usually get more comments like that when I preach the worst sermons I ever preach. And I, I feel horrible. And I just, oh, that was horrible. I can't believe I was up there even talking. I should be shot. You know, and pe people start coming, that was amazing. And I think, were you in the same service? How was that? Because, you know, it, it's, it's bad when you're bored during the preaching and you're the preacher. You know, this is really bad. And, but yet, still people will talk about, wow, that changed my life. And that's when it dawns us, this isn't about us. This is God. I mean, we're called to give forth information and stuff, but God says to turn on the lights as we continue to grow spiritually. Paul, the apostle, wrote to the Ephesian church, uh, Ephesians 1.18, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, epiphany, if you will, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. people. What is he I'm praying for you guys that your eyes will be open that you'll be able to see the incredible riches that are available to us. It, it's kind of like having a conversation with someone who is completely broke, struggles from day to day, and in fact, they have millions of dollars in the bank. And you can tell them, you know you have millions of dollars in the bank. And they go, but I'm broke. I don't have any money in my wallet. Yeah, go to the bank. <laughs> you know, it's like they don't get it. They don't realize what wealth they have and they struggle horribly. It's like that spiritually. Many of us listening right now feel like they just struggle in life and they're not experiencing God the way they want and the blessings they should have in life. And they moan and groan. And they don't realize what is available to us. How do we fix that? Well, I can speak about it, but God has to turn the light on your heart. And, you know, if you feel like you're struggling in that area, just pray that to God. Say, Lord, I'm struggling. Turn the lights on so I can see. You know, you, you walk into a really dark room, you really struggle and you move slowly. Someone flips on the light and you go, oh, okay. You know, it's like that. All of a sudden, life becomes clear. Now you can move. You can reach for the right things because the lights are on. You say, even as Christians, yes, that's Paul's writing to Christians. What's he praying? That the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so you can see 
what is available to you as a believer. The truth is, most of us live way be below our calling in life. We don't walk nearly as successful in our lives as we should be and can be because we just have the lights off. You know, and the truth is, I'd argue that before anyone truly succeeds in life, Christian or not, just really financially successful people, they're the kind of people that kind of have their own epiphanies. They get it. They see what's available. Uh, uh, they're able to see their success before they can experience it. And a lot of people don't have, have that. Most people don't. There are those who just do. Everything they see, they always know they can succeed, even when they fail horribly. I mean, a lot of people, if they'll invest $100 and lose it in the stock market, I'll never do that again, you know. And they just live in, live in fear and limitations. I have talked to men who have lost millions of dollars, went from great wealth to great poverty overnight, and then turned around and they did it again and lost it again. And one guy came here, talked some years ago from Australia. He's like one of the richest men in the world. Had and lost, what, five times? Millions of dollars, huge fortunes. And then he tried again. I'm thinking, who'd give you any more money? <laughs> Your track record is really pretty lousy, but they can't, they don't stop. They just don't stop and they just keep succeeding because to them, it's real. They can see it. They can experience it. Whereas, whereas most people are convinced they are limited in their vision. They have a poverty mentality. The pie is only so big. Got to be careful with the pie. You give too much pie out one direction or the other. There's people who are that with, with their own emotions. You know, they're people who get into marriages where there's stepchildren and stuff often struggle giving and loving their stepchildren as they love their own children. And I talk to them about it. I say, well, uh, if I do that, I'm taken away from my, from my own kid. You don't get it. Love is not a pie that's limited. It's unlimited. Think ocean. There's plenty of water for everybody when you get to the ocean. All right. That's healthy thinking. That's positive thinking. That's abundant thinking. But your thinking will limit you. And this is also true in faith. We need to experience a vision that all things are possible because Jesus taught us anything is possible to him who believes. He says this in Mark, the 11th chapter, verse 24. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Now, I want you to look at what the, the oddness of the words that uh, how it's phrased whatever you ask for in prayer he doesn't say believe that you're going to receive it he says believe that you have received it well how can I believe I've have to receive it when I haven't received it yet it's called faith and it's a, it's a dramatic thing the thing is depending on who you trust in life a lot of us experience this all the time someone will tell us uh, I got I sent something in the mail. And, and you're, a lot of you get excited just when you order on Amazon. You place an order and you're in faith mode. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Because I know it's coming. Do you have it yet? No. But you know you've got it. Right? That's that same kind of thing. I remember once, uh, many, many years ago, when we were first married, we were broke. We were so broke. We had to look up to envy the, the poor people. And I always tell my wife, don't worry. Someday we'll be poor too. But I mean, we had nothing. It was awful. And I remember 
I had a bill I had to pay. It was like $150, which at that time was just a massive amount of money. I didn't have it. And I was just stressed. And I usually don't stress. I'm not a stress-worrying kind of person. I hardly ever do that to this day. But for some reason, it just got on me. And I remember calling my mom. Good old mom, right? Mom, what's wrong? I need $150. She said, just relax. I'll put it in the mail tomorrow. I hung up that phone and I felt so good. I was at such peace. Did I have the money yet? No. She hadn't even put it in the mail yet. But I knew she would and I knew I'd get it and I did. And it was, but I was, I immediately experienced the joy before I got it. You know, a lot of people, even, even in that situation, there's people who are so negative. Mom would say, I'll put it in the mail and they'll go home depressed. Why? She said she put it in the mail. Well, she forgets. She probably forget. That's mom. She forgets everything. You know what I'm saying? Just don't be such a negative Nelly, for heaven's sakes. You're not going to experience anything from God until you realize it's in the mail. This is what praise is. You know what praise is? Praise is worshiping and celebrating your answer before you get it. Anybody can celebrate after they get it. That's not faith. You see these publisher clearance videos where someone comes, you've won a million dollars. And they go insane, you know. I, I would enjoy that myself, to be honest with you. But faith is celebrating before you have anything yet. Why? Because you know it's in the mail. We come in here, we sing these songs, we celebrate and praise God from our hearts filled with joy because we know that God is on our side. The check is in the mail. Somebody say amen. amen. All right. So, da, 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 da. now during this season of Epiphany, the church specifically celebrates the revelation or epiphany of the coming of the Christ child to the Gentiles. This is uh, played out with the visiting of the wise men that come uh, to, to the Christ child. Uh, and the context here, I mean, when you see the Christmas story, you see the baby in the manger and all of a sudden you see the shepherds come and, and then you see these three guys. Well, first of all, we don't know how many there are. All we know is there were three different kinds of gifts. It might have been a whole gaggle of guys. We have no idea. But it's inaccurate. They don't show up that night. It's probably a year to two years later before these guys show up. And they're not in a manger anymore. They are in a house. You have to understand, they went to uh, Bethlehem because that's where their family came from. But when they got into town, it was a circus. All these people were there. They couldn't even find their family. They didn't have Uber. They didn't even have cell phones. I don't know where everybody is. How long has it been since they've even been to Bethlehem? She goes into labor. We got issues. All they can find is a barn. That's where Jesus is born. And that's when the shepherds come in this wonderful night. But then eventually they find their relatives. And they go hang out with them. And they stay there for a year or two. They got this infant baby. They don't want to be dragging all over the place trying to get, you know, it's, it could be dangerous traveling in those years. Anyway, so this is, this is the context. And this is what we celebrate during this epiphany. Now, let's pick up the story. This is in Matthew, the second chapter, starting at verse one. So we've just finished celebrating Christmas in the Christian calendar. And then we go right to this epiphany where Jesus is now, uh, the idea of the Christ child is dawning on some Gentiles. So after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, 
during the time of King Herod, Magi, or these wise men, uh, came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So these guys come into town, okay? They make quite a splash. We don't know how many of them were, but these are uh, very wise guys. Wise guys. <laughs> mafia. They're <laughs> not the mafia. Uh, very wise men, and they come, and they're probably dressed to kill, like some people I know. And, and they're very wealthy people. And, you know, they come in with their camels and everything, and everybody, and they're going around asking, where's the Christ child? And everybody hears this, and, and they're all kind of freaked out about it. Uh, and Herod, King Herod, I mean, how long does it take before it gets to him? He hears about it. It's quite the hubbub in the city. And uh, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, uh, Herod asked them where the Messiah was to be born. And they knew where. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for it, this is what the prophet has written. And they quote from the Old Testament prophecy, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So it's prophesied that this ruler, the shepherd, this Messiah would come from Bethlehem. So then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out for them the exact time the star had appeared. You say, why do you think it's been a year or two? Because Herod later, when the wise men don't come back, he panics because these guys are seriously insecure. They hear about some king being born. He orders all the boys two years and under to be killed. So we assume now it's been a while uh, since all this happens. So uh, after hearing uh, verse 7, then Herod called the Magi to find out when the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child as soon as you find him. Report to me that I too may go and worship him. So now check this out. Uh, verse 9, after they heard the king, they went on their way. Uh, so they go to seek the Christ child. Now, everybody in Jerusalem, it says, the whole city heard all this. None of them went. Is that stunning or what? It's quite amazing. They've been waiting thousands of years for the promise of the Messiah. They're always saying, when is this going to happen? When is it going to happen? And these guys show up, and, and I'll tell you in a minute why, why they showed up at this time. They knew these things, but nobody could be bothered. I mean, you really got to be careful when life becomes so important to you that you miss the real important things of life. And it's easy to criticize these guys, but I dare say most people live like this. We know what needs to be done, but can't be bothered to do it. The reason this church should be back to the walls, if people would understand this, but as much as even our own fellow believers and so many people, they know the truth, but they just can't be bothered because life is life. And there's this and there's that and my cat needs to be combed and all these other important things in life. And we just forget the important things. It's really a danger. Jesus warned us, don't let the cares of this life suck the life out of you. And clearly the whole city was caught up in that. They were much too busy doing whatever in the world they were doing to go. So they went on their way and the star they had seen 
when it rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. This is a very specific star. I'm going to talk about this more in just a minute. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, notice, it's a house now. They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped the child, which is stunning to me. How can they do this? Because they understood that authority is not based on what you do. It's based on who you are. This is a problem that we don't understand in Western culture. No way would wise guys from the West show up to work. First of all, I don't think we have any wise people from the West. But they, there's no way they would walk in and start worshiping a baby. They'd walk in and go, he's still pooping his pants. You know, call us when he does something. We'll be back, right? This is the way we think. Even in Christian culture, Eastern Christian culture, the words of their songs tend to celebrate God for who he is. And in the Western culture, we sing songs because of what God has done, right? Done. We get the respect because of what he does. And, and he deserves it for what he does. But the reality is, whether he did anything or not, he still needs to be praised and celebrated because he's God, because of who he is. So these guys get down and they worship this child. Now, Joseph and Mary got to be wondering, what, what, what is this? <laughs> it's got to be pretty stunning to them. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Frankincense and myrrh, very valuable commodities. But as we all understand to this day, gold is extremely valuable. And by the way, um, there's no way they traveled this huge distance and who, however long it took them to get there and gave him a gold Rolex and a couple of boxes of smelly things. I mean, they came loaded. They came. I mean, you're going to go worship a king. You show up with huge amounts of wealth. When these guys left, Joseph and Mary and this family is now set for life. You say, well, Jesus was poor. Jesus was poor only because he chose to not pursue wealth. But these people were not hurting at this point. This is a major thing. It's God providing for the family, right? He sends this Christ child despite all their troubles when all, of, all the starts. They are now taken well care of. And then after having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they return to their country by another route. Here's the amazing thing about this whole account. This is really, really odd. God is revealing himself to these people. And they weren't Jews. They weren't priests. They weren't prophets or holy men. They were scholars from the East. And God is revealing himself to some of the most unlikely people in the most unlikely of ways. Even the idea of following a star, the Bible's very clear. You're not supposed to be looking at stars and trying to, you know, if you're one of these horoscope people, stop it. That's not where, we're not supposed to be doing that kind of, yet these guys, that's exactly what they do. And God uses the very thing they shouldn't be messing with to reveal himself to them. God sometimes just messes with your head. The other thing too, is God at this point pretty much only revealed himself to the Jews, but yet these guys, are seeing this. And how do they know any of this, by the way? So they're from the East. Now, as uh, I've, I've told you, and many of you are aware, in the Old Testament, there was the uh, kingdoms to the 10 kingdoms to the North. 
They used to be united under King David, but they had a civil war. Ten kingdoms of the north called Israel, and then this kingdom of the south called Judah. You notice it referenced Judah there. So they're two different kingdoms. What happens? They are so wicked, God destroys the northern kingdoms and scattered them to the winds. To this day, you can Google it about the lost tribes of Israel. Jewish websites come up. They don't know where they are. The only people they know are the people from Judah. That's why they're called the Jews. That's where they come. That's why it was called the land of Judea, because it was the kingdom of Judah. That's where all the stuff comes from. All right. They don't even know where those guys are. Eventually, they're going to find them out. The Bible tells us at the end. They start showing that on TV. Look out. <laughs> it's all going to wrap up pretty soon. But uh, it's fascinating. The only ones they know that survived are the people from Judah. So um, uh, they're, they're not... Uh, Judah also disobeyed God. That was my point. They also went into captivity, but they stayed intact. And they went into the land of Babylon. That's where you read about... Uh, uh, Daniel in the lion's den, the three Hebrew guys got thrown into the, the fire furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All this happened in Babylon, all right? They were part of the people that got drugged into captivity because of the judgment of God that fell on Judah. They were in captivity for 70 years, eventually come back, rebuild everything, and then 500 years later, Jesus comes back. The temple's being rebuilt, all this stuff. It's, it's fascinating, all this history. So, um, uh, anyway, these guys, Daniel, if you read Daniel, it's an amazing, he was an amazing prophet. He was so ac accurate in describing specifically what kingdoms would come uh, in the future that skeptics to this day don't believe he actually wrote it. They believe someone later who saw the kingdoms went back and put that in there and put the names of who, because he mentions the uh, the Greeks and the Romans and, the, you know, all these different nations that came. And it happened exactly in the order that they said it would happen. He was so accurate, skeptics to this day don't believe he really saw it, but he did. And he also spoke of when the Messiah was coming. And he was very specific about the time frame. The Jews all knew this. They should be aware of this. Yet they're so busy with their lives, they're not paying attention. These Wise men, these scholars, are reading the writings of Daniel. They're seeing these kingdoms come, just like he said, and they know about the time of the Messiah. According to Daniel, that should be happening about now. And that's why they are aware and saw this star. Now, was it actually a star? I doubt highly that it was a star. Oftentimes, these people say, I think the star of Bethlehem was when, you know, Saturn and whatever lied. No, not at all. This you have to understand, they don't know what a star is. They have no idea that a star is hundreds of millions of miles away. They're just a bunch of sparkling things in the sky, okay? They see something sparkling in the sky. To them, it's a star. What else do you call it, okay? So I believe this, because it's a really specific star, it leads them and stops over this house. That's one specific star. <laughs> Highly unlikely that's happening from things that are hundreds of millions of miles away probably an angel or something that's revealing himself. They know it's a star. They follow it. All this stuff. And this happens to guys who shouldn't even be aware of these things, but yet they are. They're looking for the child with nobody else. They followed this star. They brought great gifts. They were warned in a dream, which was another epiphany. God is speaking and using these people, the kind of people, the point is that we would think would not be 
seeing things from God. You never know how God's going to reveal himself to you. God will do all kinds of things. That's why you always got to be open to people that are coming in faith. Whatever journey they came, you may not approve of it. I remember when we first became Christians back in the uh, end of the 60s and early 70s, it was the last great spiritual revival in America. It was called the Jesus Movement. Hundreds of thousands of people were coming to Christ, mostly young people, hippies and stuff like that. That's when I got saved. A lot of pastors you see today preaching got saved during that time. It had a major impact on the country. We're really overdue for another one, I got to tell you. But, uh, but that's the last one. Uh, and you would think these churches who've been praying and praying for God for revival would be excited to see us. They weren't. Because when we came in, we had hair down to our shoulders, which was a horrible sin in those days. We had no shoes on, bell bottoms <laughs> that were massive. <laughs> we, we, we doubled as street sweepers. And t-shirts with holes in them. And we come and we sit on the front row. And we're all like, because we want to know about Jesus because of this experience that we had. You would be shocked how many churches yelled at us, condemned us. You bunch of hippies, you need to get clean before you come to church. I mean, they were a little nuts. But then there were the little churches that embraced us and they were happy to see us. We were the magi to them. How did you find Jesus? Well, I was smoking dope. And, uh, some, and, and right there, you lost them, all right? You know, so how, how could you get said we were smoking dope? I don't know. I was, I was high as a kite, and someone started telling me about Jesus. Said, really? And I started experiencing this epiphany, and it wasn't the dope, okay? Because <laughs> <was just laughs> I was pretty stoned all the time. But uh, all of a sudden, I, I could picture Jesus dying on the cross for my, for my sins. It was a dramatic, it changed my life. And we came, but we didn't look the way they expected us to look. And we came in a way they didn't expect us to come. And we got saved in a way they didn't expect us to see, you know. But that's God can do whatever he wants. God will use all kinds of people. Sometimes you'll be shocked and stunned about how he does it and who he does it to. But this God can talk to anybody any way he wants to. It's our job to share the good news, but it's God's job to turn on the lights for people. Amen. God reveals himself to those who have sincere hearts. Jesus said in Luke 19, 10, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. I'm going to invite our ushers to get ready to serve communion. Those of you at home uh, can get what you're going to use for bread and wine this morning. And maybe you're visiting this morning. You're wondering, why am I even sitting here? <laughs> how do I even show up at this church today? Some of you might be watching online and say, how do I even find this? I've, 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 I've often seen people say, how did this even get in my, how did I click this on? You know, th this, but you're still watching. This is a God moment for you. You may not even understand why you're even here today. Uh, maybe you just drove by. Some people come to church and say, why'd you come to church today? Yeah, I don't know. We were driving by and we thought, you know, why don't we, why don't we stop? You know, that's God, God dealing with them and pulling on their heartstrings. Uh, and the only question we have now is, will you experience an epiphany of God's grace this morning? Jesus Christ died on that cross 2,000 years ago so we could have forgiveness of sins. That's what we celebrate when we take communion. His body was broken so we could be whole. His blood was shed so we could have forgiveness of sins. And the Bible says before we take communion together, we should all pause and reflect 
on where we're at with God. So let's all bow our heads as I pray a general prayer of forgiveness over all of us. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning as we gather today. Lord, and in obedience to the scripture, we pause to examine ourselves. If we've sinned against you in any way, we pray that you would forgive us and cleanse us of our sins. Help us to make things right with you. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that cleanses us and makes us whole. And as heads are bowed and people are reflecting, maybe you're one of these people. You're here and you've never experienced this. And you're thinking, man, I, you're, maybe you're watching online. Saying, I've never experienced any of this. You know, you can right now. Just open your heart. In your own words, just ask Jesus to come into your life. Say, Jesus, come into my life and forgive me of my sins. And you can experience this morning what we've been talking about and what we've been celebrating. Amen.